Hello everyone. Welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders in crypto and DeFi. As always, I'm your host, Crypto Texan, and today we have with us Clinton Bimbury from Slingshot Crypto. Clinton, thanks for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to chat with you. Yeah, and we are burning some ETH today. So that feels good. It does feel good. So let's get started. We usually like to start off with, you know, what's your story, Clinton, and how did you get into crypto and DeFi? Yeah, definitely. So I've been in the crypto space since 2017. Uh, I got started right out of school with my own. It was a bit of a crypto hedge fund at the beginning, and my co-founders and I did a lot of trading and you know, as the bear market set in and we realized that all of our backgrounds were in computer science and building software, we decided to pivot and start building out just like different products in the space with a goal of making crypto more uh, consumer friendly. And so building products that we saw kind of mainstream audiences being able to use. And this was back in 2018 and we built everything from like blockchain explorers, but to NFT trading platforms. And we built a smart contract wallet with an emphasis on user experience where we had this vision where people could use USDC for everything on Ethereum, including paying transaction fees and worked on that for a while. And at the end of 2019, we were acquired by Coinbase. Um, and so I spent a good part of 2020 at Coinbase kind of seeing uh, the space from the lens of the mothership and really taking the time to dive deeper into DeFi and Ethereum and while I was at Coinbase, it became increasingly obvious to me that you could build a trading platform on decentralized rails, and it would work a lot better for both like the users and the business. And so that's kind of how I came up with the idea of Slingshot. And yeah, that's uh, kind of like the story of how I got into crypto and then wound up doing Slingshot. Yeah, and so that acquisition from Coinbase, that was Astro Wallet, correct? Yes, Astro Wallet it was the name. I think the website might still be up, and so you can kind of like see what our vision for that was. Yeah, what was that like going through the the process of getting acquired by Coinbase? So it was it was officially Aquahire, and so they were mostly buying like the engineering team, and so you know it's it was it was really exciting though. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I thought maybe it would be difficult going from being a founder to a software engineer, but landing somewhere as awesome as Coinbase was, you know, like it was really exciting. And so um, a bit stressful at times, but, uh, you know, in hindsight, it was, it, I'm just, I'm really glad that it happened. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, acquiring talent as, as opposed to just hiring, hiring them away from you. Because I know that uh, developer talent and engineer talent is spread pretty thin uh, in the space right now. Have you noticed any of that uh, with Slingshot, like trouble acquiring developer and engineering talent? Yeah, I mean, hiring is is difficult. There's so much demand and less supply. And I think that there's, we haven't seen really like software engineers from outside of crypto dive in maybe as quickly as we thought they would. But um, I know after we've launched our product, it's been a lot easier to hire people when they can actually, you know, use your product before. Um, you know, scoping out if it's a good spot for them. And so uh, I think we've done pretty well hiring so far, but it, it's not easy. Yeah. I'm wondering, why do you think it is so difficult to get those outside developers into the crypto space? Is it because 
there's solidity on Ethereum, and it's it's harder to to transition over to a new uh, coding language. Or what are your thoughts on that? I think it's it's relatively easy to move from one coding language to the other, and so you know, to me, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you know, as a software engineer by trade, um, it seemed pretty obvious to me that like this is a generational platform and I want to build on it. Um, but you know, there's, it can feel risky at first and, you know, some people are more risk averse than others. And so to be honest, I think it's only a matter of time though, before, um, you know, we see just talent flooding in. Yeah. Well, I, I hope so. Cause I, you know, a lot of these conversations that I've had, you know, developer talent is, is one of the main struggles that, uh, any project has right now. Uh, unless you're, you know, like Ave or Compound, and you just have people waiting to get tapped to go mm-hmm. go work on those projects. Um, but you were also the co-founder of Yam Finance. Uh, can you talk about Yam a little bit during the, I guess, the food protocol craze? Yeah, DeFi summer of 2020. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, so I was actually still at Coinbase at that time, and um, had been building relationships with just different people in the space and. Dan Ulitzer, who at the time was at IDEO, now he's doing nascent, um, he kind of tapped my shoulder just like a few days before launch. And he said, hey, we're building this protocol. Um, it's kind of, you know, under the hood, it's doing a lot of cool things. Um, but, you know, we've got it, we're calling it EM Finance, and it's kind of a meme. And he was asking if I could come in and kind of design the look and feel of the interface for it. And so at that time, I really didn't have any idea of what I was getting myself into. I thought it was just going to be a small DeFi experiment. And to some extent, I think we all thought that. Um, and so spent the next 72 hours, no lifing it, putting it together. Um, and then we launched it. And then I guess the rest is history with, with what happened there. But, um, you know, it, it went viral. It blew up. Um, there was that critical bug. There was the vote to save Yam Finance. And it's, it's looking back, it's definitely one of those nostalgic things. Uh, or like I can see it becoming bad. Um, and then, spawned a whole wave of food tokens and emoji tokens. And I think probably every emoji that finance is now uh, reserved for some DeFi protocol. Yeah, those those were fun times uh, for sure. Uh, so let, let's talk about Slingshot now. Uh, tell us what is Slingshot crypto? Yes, yeah, Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform for retail investors. Um, our whole goal with it is to be a platform where retail investors can plug directly into DeFi and trade the DeFi markets. And so um, under the hood, we do things like DEX aggregation and aggregate liquidity across uh, DEX protocols like Uniswap, SushiSwap, et cetera. Um, but on the interface level, we do a lot to uh, make it feel like an empowering experience for the user. And so part of that is, uh, for example, our real-time DeFi charts. And so um, every single token that you can trade on Slingshot also has a price chart that updates in real time based off of on-chain pricing data and things like real-time trade activity. We have a trade tape on the right side and like a watch list on the left. And it's really about capturing the entire trading flow, bringing it into one interface and letting people connect directly from their crypto wallets. Yeah, and y'all are only on Polygon right now, correct? Yeah, so we launched uh, in mid-May, and we made the decision to launch only on Polygon. Initially, we had built the platform on Ethereum, but uh, at the time, transaction fees were 
out of this world. And like I said, you know, we're trying to build this platform for retail investors who probably can't pay $100 per transaction fee. If you look at companies like Robinhood, they priced an entire generation of investors into traditional finance markets by getting rid of the $10 commission fee associated with trading. And so on DeFi, it was like that, except 10 times worse. And so Polygon, you know, had their solution on mainnet for over a year and had drastically reduced transaction fees, something like, you know, five one hundredths of a penny for a trade. And so we saw this as an opportunity to price retail investors back into DeFi. And as a result, that's why we launched on Polygon to begin with. And you know, I think that decision has paid off and Polygon has proven to be like a great platform for um, retail DeFi activity. And yeah, going forward, this you know, there's other uh, exciting layer two is coming out. And so Slingshot, we're excited to kind of be everywhere. Yeah. And it's so interesting that we're at a time in crypto where we are having protocols launch on Polygon first. I just think that's that's really cool. And I think that says a lot about what the Polygon and the Matic team are doing over there. I'm a big fan of Polygon and I've, I've used Slingshot Crypto, actually did a few trades uh, on there before this conversation. And I got to say like, the UX and the UI is is very cool, and you know the intro video on your website is is really cool. That's the only way I can like. Who put that together? That video. Oh, thank you. So that is we've got a guy in our team named Aaron who is just insanely talented at creating these visuals, and so he's built a lot of the visuals for the Slingshot brand. Um, it's you know a bit of a collaborative effort. I really like working on these things with him, but um, you know he's the one that makes the magic happen. Yeah, and y'all being a Dex aggregator, uh, what Dexes are y'all plugging into on the Polygon network? Like I'm assuming QuickSwap and Sushi, but what other ones are on there? Yeah, we try to cover basically all of the major Dex protocols that have liquidity and trading activity and tokens on them, um, and so. You know, QuickSwap's one of them, SushiSwap. Um, there's, you know, Kyber and Balancer and, yeah, probably going to forget a few, um, which is a good thing because it means that we're, you know, supporting enough of them. But, yeah, there's there's a whole ecosystem of uh, DEX protocols on Polygon, and I can see this kind of happening on, on most Layer 2s. And so we kind of want to let our users tap into if any liquidity. It's like if there's liquidity out there on the open market, uh, we want our liquidity engine to find it so users can place trades against them right and like what does it take to have a token it looks like you have an approved list on what can be traded but you can switch into ape mode which uh removes that i guess pre-approved list from slingshot what are y'all looking for in a token to be on that pre-approved list um is there a process for that yeah so I think that's one thing that differentiates Slingshot not only from centralized trading platforms, but even a lot of the other DEX aggregators out there is that we don't have a listing process. Um, you know, I don't think it should be honest to tell users what they can and can't trade. Um, it's more so if there's a token out there and it has liquidity, you should be able to trade it. Similar to if you know, there's a website out there, uh, you know, Google will index it and you can do a search for it and find it. And so... When you have ape mode enabled, it kind of shows just an uncurated list of tokens that our liquidity search engine has indexed. Uh, but 
you know, that can be a pretty daunting experience. And is since there's no safety rails up, you know, it's, it's just a higher risk environment to be in. And so by default, we kind of algorithmically filter out tokens that have like low liquidity, don't exist on other token lists that are maintained in this space. But there is no centralized listing process as of now. Okay. Also on the website, it says that this is, we're in open beta mode right now. Uh, can you explain to the audience what, what does the open beta mode mean right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of like how Fortnite was in beta forever, I think. It's, um, you know, in my opinion, the product's never done. And since it's still so new, uh, I, I have a feeling that a few years from now, it's going to you know look and feel much different than it does today as far as like the polish goes. And I think it's still so early in DeFi that by keeping it in this beta format, it helps, I guess, educate the user of like the risks that they may be taking by participating in DeFi and just overall giving that, that vibe of like, Hey, this is still really early. You might experience some bugs. Um, you know, we're, we're still a relatively small team in the grand scheme of things. And I think that there's a lot of improvement to be had to the product itself um, before maybe we officially exit beta mode. Yeah, and I don't think a, a lot of people know this, but Bitcoin is actually technically still in beta mode, um, and they they plan on keeping it in that uh, I guess that classification uh, in perpetuity. I guess so. Like, is it even uh, is it really even beta? Everything's beta these days. I yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> so let's let's talk about I, I guess kind of the the P and L of the platform. Uh, how are y'all generating revenue? to the slingshot protocol and like what kind of fees are you charging uh users to utilize uh, the dex aggregator yeah so we don't charge any fees um we're very well funded our backers are super excited about slingshot and you know similar to how uh, uniswap the company doesn't charge any additional fees on top of like the lp fees that exist on the liquidity pools and so today we don't make any money um and with the way that DeFi is so rapidly evolving, the entire landscape may look different a year from now, or entirely different a year from now than it does today. And so I'm not too worried about it. I think that in the future, there's going to be lots of opportunities to generate revenue for the company because, you know, at the end of the day, Slingshot is a company and we do eventually need to find ways to make money. But as of now, it's not really a core focus of ours. It's like, let's just build the best product for our users and continue iterating on it. And then at some point, maybe there, it makes sense to charge money somewhere uh, along the way. And what I will say is when we do start charging fees, we'll be very like open and transparent about it. And our users will know exactly what's happening. So that's that. Yeah. And I can see, you know, a time where if you do have a token for this protocol, which I, I assume that that you will, that maybe the token holders might ask you, when are we going to start? driving revenue to the treasury um and do you have any plans for a token right now as of right now uh no i like generally don't think about you know if there will or won't be a token um you know that's it's possible in the future to decentralize part of the stack and issue a token but i don't think that that's like a, a part of our roadmap as of right now it's really focusing on building the best product okay um and this product was essentially born out of the Concourse Open Community. Can you explain what the Concourse Open Community is and what's that community's relationship to Slingshot? Yeah, so 
Concourse is really one of the first DeFi native communities and companies to sprout up. Um, it's led by Scott, who is a co-founder of Slingshot. You know, he's a pretty well-known figure in this space. Uh, he's founder of DeFi Pulse, which is you know part of the Concourse community. And so, you know, I don't come from the Concourse world, uh, but they were building what was called Dex AG at the time, and they effectively invented the Dex aggregator because. At first, there was just maybe like one DEX protocol. I don't know if it was Uniswap or who was technically first, but at some point there was, you know, a handful of them. Um, and so they started working on the first DEX aggregator. And so, um, you know, I was, while I was at Coinbase, I had this vision of like building a retail focused trading platform on DeFi, um, but hadn't really like put the DEX aggregator piece together. And so at some point when Scott and I met and we started working together on various projects um you know there was a lot of synergy and uh like roughly a year ago is when we decided to join forces and so um dex ag and slingshot effectively joined forces um and yeah that's how we got here okay and uh so dex ag is still around as a dex aggregator not really. Like, I think the interface might still technically be up, but again, that's more for nostalgic reasons. Um, but effectively, Dex AG is Slingshot now. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't realize Scott was uh, involved in this. That's that's very interesting as well. Um, <laughs> so, I think back in November, Slingshot raised about three point one million for this project, uh, led by Framework Ventures and some other well-known uh, organizations like Coinbase Ventures and Winklevoss Capital and Digital Currency Group and Robot Ventures. Um, how did this capital raise come about? And, it, you know, I guess you worked at Coinbase for a while, so did your relationship with individuals at Coinbase uh, help foster this relationship and this capital raise? Yeah. One thing that Coinbase does a great job at is supporting founders that you know come from their company and so they you know they love to uh, hire people with that entrepreneur mindset and then when they leave to go do their own venture they love to invest and so um you know that that relationship definitely helped there and i think you know as far as attracting i said capital i think that there was just like you know a lot of appetite to invest in a very retail focused decentralized trading platform and a lot of people were excited about what we wanted to build yeah, and I mean these these companies and these you know VC firms obviously saw something in Slingshot. Um, what do you think separates Slingshot from all the other Dex aggregators already operating? I, I know you, you touched on this a little bit, but I, I just want to hit on this question uh, specifically. Yeah, I mean I think that you know there's there's a lot of really interesting projects in this space, and everyone's kind of going a slightly different direction. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of room for innovation and for different projects to go down different routes and kind of the path that we're taking is really the focus on providing a user first approach to a trading platform. And so, you know, we, we don't have things like an API for developers to tap into for our prices or like our market data. Um, you know, we, I'd like to think that we have the best prices in DeFi and most competitive rates, but the only way to get access to that is to be a user on our interface. And it's really about like empowering retail investors. And so, you know, 
it's uh i wouldn't even consider slingshot a dex aggregator or we're like moving away from being a dex aggregator and more towards being a full decentralized trading platform that you know as part of what we do is aggregate liquidity but are able to offer all these other trading services on top of it that uh, improve the trading flow for our users um and so like you know part of that is offering real-time market data um you know you can use a dex aggregator to find the best price for your trade but what if you just want to see what's happening in the market in real time um you know like that's that's why maybe one reason why you would use slingshot over the others yeah i mean slingshot really does kind of have a a very familiar almost centralized exchange feel to it but it is a decentralized uh exchange because you do get the real-time line charts um i i really like it uh personally um so what yeah so what other i guess upcoming features let's just say like one to two years out um are y'all discussing on the roadmap uh that gets you excited about slingshot well one to two years out is a is a really long time in d5 but more short term (laughs) yeah more short term than that, though, I think there's there's some things that we have coming up that I'm really excited for. You know, some of those are maybe like, you know, there's there's some features coming out like candlestick charts, which I'm really excited for because right now we kind of have like the spark lines approach, but um, real time on chain DeFi candlesticks is pretty cool. Uh, something that doesn't exist yet today. Uh, there's also some social based features that I'm really excited to introduce to the platform, kind of like real time market chat, um, and then. I think that there's um, some stuff happening in the NFT space that we're also going to tap into, but I can't leak too much alpha right now. <laughs> but some of these things are coming up pretty soon. That's okay. Yeah. So I know you you said your intention originally was to launch on Ethereum, uh, but you decided to go with Polygon first. Um, do you have plans to go back to Ethereum and and launch on there? Yeah, I think eventually we could make our way back um but maybe it's not until ethereum 2.0 maybe it's sooner but it is uh you know quite expensive uh for the retail user to transact on ethereum and so that was some of the early feedback that we got from our closed beta is you know we launched exclusively on ethereum for closed beta and our user base uh was at that time still like mostly retail and the feedback was hey you know, this platform is really cool, but I can't actually execute any trades because it's too expensive. Uh, and so, you know, that's part of what led to the decision to just launch on Polygon. Okay, yeah. And on the subject of the closed beta, um, in order for people to get access to the closed beta, you created a, a video game that people had to speed run, and the first X amount of people got access to the closed beta. That pretty interesting idea. How did that idea come about? a good question so i guess just like growing up i like playing video games and so it's like something that i've been interested in as a kid i used to make video games uh with with my friends um computer video games they're not very good at the time but it was a lot of fun to do it um and so i think like that kind of carried through to to that but how exactly we landed on the video game was somewhat unintentional um I, we were building the landing page for like the closed beta sign up form, and um, I was playing Destiny Two at the time, which is kind of like this sci-fi first-person shooter game. I think made by the same people that made Halo, uh, and they have like honestly, out of 
any video game I've played, they probably have the best user interface. Um, and they have this really cool like parallax effect that they did. And so like I threw that onto the landing page, just to, like test it out. And I was like, oh, this looks really sick. Um, and then one thing led to another, and then we had a video game. <laughs> so that's kind of how that happened. Wow, that's that's pretty. That's very unique. Uh, and I didn't realize the beta was on uh, Ethereum too. And you said the, I guess some of the feedback you got was that you know from a retail standpoint, Ethereum's fees were just too high. Um, what other feedback did you get from the closed beta that you felt like was useful in your development on the Polygon sidechain? Let's see, looking back, that was that was a while ago. Yeah. We've had a lot of good feedback uh, since then, but um, I think like it was largely the fee thing. Obviously, there was like bugs that people were reporting, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but you know, I think the feedback was mostly positive that like what we built resonated with people and they could see themselves using it. There were a few open questions I had going into it. Um, you know, for example, we don't have that kind of Uniswap style swap form where you have your input token and your output token be took kind of the more buy, buy slash sell approach from centralized trading platforms. And I was you know, really curious to see if people would accept that or if it, they would revolt against it and demand the swap form. But, um, you know, it was one of those things where I, you know, no one really complained about it and seemed to like go over well. But for us, yeah, I think the, the two pieces of critical feedback was one, it was transactions were too expensive, but also too slow. And Ethereum has 12 second, 13 second block times, I believe, uh, which itself is already really long. But, you know, unless you're paying really high gas fees, you're not going to get into the next block anyways. And so submitting a trade and then having the market move for two minutes before it executes is not a great experience. And so the, the switch from Ethereum to Polygon kind of felt like going from dial up to like high-speed internet, which, you know, is part of the reason why Slingshot looks and feels, you know, very high performance is, you know, part of like this because the rails that we built it on. Yeah, and I know you kind of touched on earlier about potentially moving other to onto other uh, layer, two, not that Polygon's really a layer two, it's more of a side chain, but other like layer two solutions like Arbitrum and Optimism. I, I mean, what do you feel like is the most important metric for you uh in measuring, I guess, just the success of any L2 or sidechain and what the perceived success would be for Slingshot to get on to those uh, L2s? So there's a few things. I think most obviously is volume and liquidity. You know, if there's a lot of trading activity happening on a layer two, um, you know, we probably want to be there. And if there's demand from our users, it's like, you know, I want to be trading on this platform. Like, you know, we take that into account as well there's some other things like it's nice to see kind of those homegrown projects being built on different chains and so you know there's there's a handful of projects on polygon that as you mentioned earlier launched uh, natively on polygon i think that that's also good to see it's it's not as exciting when a chain just has like the forked version of every other project on ethereum not that you know that's be all end all of like deciding whether or not we're going to go on a chain but yeah, I think those are some of the things that we look for. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense too. Um, and so I, you know, I feel like Polygon and and even these L2s are pretty beneficial to the metaverse. And you know, you had a, a video game style uh, speed run to get into the closed beta. Uh, are you pretty involved in the metaverse just in general? Yeah, I mean, I'm not super involved, but like I personally love nfts and as i mentioned before in 2018 
my co-founders or previous co-founders and I were building an NFT trading platform and have played, you know, video games growing up with vibrant in-game economies. And so I think that like this all coming together on Ethereum and, and crypto is like, it makes a lot of sense and it gets me really excited. And, you know, I've been like, I've been scoping out the, the uh, NFT profile picture landscape. It's like, it feels like every day there's a new one launching and to be honest, every time I see them, I'm like, I want to buy that one or like, I want to buy this one too. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited to see this space grow in general. I think it has huge mainstream appeal as well. And so I think it could be kind of what takes crypto mainstream. And in some ways it already has. And you're starting to see other tech companies outside of crypto kind of latch on to the metaverse. I think like Facebook recently came out and said, five years from now, we're not going to be known as a social media company. We're going to be a metaverse company. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, it all, it, it, it all is really exciting at this stage, but you know, still feels like we're early. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree, but you're not, you don't have like an Axie farm or you don't own any crypto punks or anything like that. No, I wish I owned a crypto punk. Um, there is that universe XYZ NFT with like the guy holding the banana and the machete. And I think, you know, that's, that's a beautiful piece of art. If I do say so myself. <laughs> um, so, you know, as we progress through DeFi, uh, what are your thoughts on DeFi just up to this point? And what are you most excited about for the future of the industry? And I mean, what, what gets you really excited about DeFi? And do you see any potential projects that could be some serious, like the next unlock for DeFi? So, I think DeFi up to, maybe not like exact at this point, but recently has been very experimental, trying out different things, seeing what works and what doesn't work. And I think we're hitting that stage now where I think we've found enough of the pieces that do work that we can start piecing it all together and really starting to reshape how finance is today. Um, you know, it's like, you know, DeFi is a, just like a radically different approach to finance. It's open source and transparent by default and you know i think anyone in the audience here today would agree that um that's like the right way to do it and so you know i think now we're at the stage where it's like okay let's go bring this out to the rest of the world and yeah i'd like to play our part at slingshot to help do that and you know bring a decentralized trading platform mainstream and get you know potentially millions of people trading uh directly on the blockchain um as far as like DeFi specific projects outside of like Slingshot that I'm really excited about. There is one just because one, I, I like NFTs and I like DeFi. And so the intersection of the two is like naturally interesting, but these, these projects that are effectively fractionalizing NFTs um, and letting people kind of trade NFTs as ERC 20s, there's, I think it's, yeah, one is fractional. There's NFTX is another popular one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for those to kind of take off and become more popular. Yeah. I've, I've seen some, talk on Twitter about fractionalized NFTs, and I, I really haven't dug too deep down into it, but do you feel like that fractionalizing an NFT might devalue that NFT a little bit, or do, do you think that makes it, because it makes it more accessible to the general, uh, I guess, retail environment, that it it appreciates that NFT? So I'm by no means an expert on this subject, so I right. apologize to anyone out there who is, if I butcher it, but um, I think there's a number of benefits that it brings One, it lets the NFT holder get liquidity. It lets the, you know, the traders 
get exposure to it, but it doesn't, it's not like it's a permanent undoable action. I think they have this like concept of a reserve price where um, someone can come in and pay some amount of money and buy the NFT. And then the NFT for the previous holder gets paid out and then all the token holders get paid out as well. And so it's like, I don't think, I don't see it kind of like diminishing the value. I see it could be pretty popular for some of these like flagship NFT tokens. Like not like you don't uh, fractionalize the entire CryptoPunks collection, at least in the way that fractional does it, you would do it for like one specific one. So you could like fractionalize the Mona Lisa and then everyone can, you know, you know, get exposure to the, the value of Mona Lisa, which I just think is really interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's int- I didn't realize that was exactly how it worked. And there's just, there's so much going on in the crypto and DeFi and metaverse space that it's, it, it's hard to keep up. I mean, there's days where I'm on Twitter and I think I'll never be able to catch up on what's going on. Yeah. I'm sure you can agree. But uh, in that, on that note, what is your news funnel like? Like, how do you keep track of what's going on day to day in the crypto space? It used to be the case where you could just, you know, be subscribed to a few subreddits and maybe in a Telegram chat and you can stay up to speed with everything. But it, now it's effectively impossible to keep up with everything that's happening. You know, I, I like, I think my favorite platform to kind of feel like I'm in the action of like what's happening in the space is Twitter. I think, uh, you know, in crypto Twitter is, it's pretty lit. <laughs> um, and so I think just like following token projects and DeFi projects, NFT projects, um, and just like participating in the conversations going on there is how I like to stay up to date. Although, you know, I'm not, I can't say I'm entirely up to date, um, but it is, it does work well, especially for people who maybe are sitting on the sidelines and thinking about, you know, getting more involved in crypto. I think that it's a good place to start. Yeah, I think so too. It's almost like you have to do research on who to follow on Twitter and then curate your Twitter, uh, to best suit the way that you want to learn and who you want to learn from. Because, I mean, if you're just sitting there and all you do is follow Bitcoin maxis, I mean, you're just, you're not going to make it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean you shouldn't follow. And, you know, I think it's important to follow people who don't necessarily share the same viewpoint mm-hmm. as you do. It helps prevent kind of like the echo chamber. And so I make it a point to follow people that I disagree with. Yeah, do you have any people specifically who you don't disagree with? or that you disagree with that you like to follow? Can you think of any top of mind? Uh, I don't know that there's like any one person that I disagree with everything that they say. I definitely read things on Twitter that I, I disagree with. And I oftentimes think like, you know, why do I disagree with this? And, uh, you know, there's, there's times where I start off disagreeing with a take and I think about it and I change my mind. Um, but there isn't, you know, a standout account that I like wholeheartedly disagree with now. Um, so we're, let's talk about the index co-op for, for a little bit, because all, what we do here is, you know, we try to make investing simple, similar to how you try to make just the trading experience simple and easy. And we create indices to just get broad exposure to certain themes in crypto, like the DeFi pulse index and the metaverse index. And we're coming out with the data economy index, uh, pretty soon. Um, what are your thoughts just on indices uh in general and can you think of a index that you think would be interesting for the index co-op to work on in the future well i think uh you know some of the ones that you have already are super interesting and i think it's you know it seems like a no-brainer it's like i want to get general exposure to DeFi. you know how do i do that instead of you know buying 
individual tokens yourself so you can buy effectively like a basket of tokens wrapped in its own token and i think that concept of taking more complex financial products and wrapping them in a simple token interface is really interesting um and it plugs well into slingshot uh, uh, really well too because you know we can continue to just to support erc20s as a general token standard but still um you know it's still able to trade these different types of tokens and so like the d5 pulse index token is really interesting i think you have like a 2x leveraged ethereum token as well mm-hmm. um yeah. which isn't is is really cool and like there's also yeah i mean nft index tokens are also interesting i think nftx is doing something similar i don't know if index co also has uh kind of like a parallel to that it's it's something but, that we've definitely discussed and we've had uh chop uh from nftx come on and, and speak with us and uh yeah that that is an incredible project and that's that's included in our metaverse index actually oh, so, nice. yeah so it's it's very exciting uh protocol we think so through your i know you said you got started in 2017 so did i uh what would you say is one of the biggest lessons you've learned in your journey from 2017 to now like what if you could go back into 2017 and give yourself some advice other than buy more ETH, uh, what would that advice be to yourself? Actually, I think some of that advice would be build on ETH. I think I got started off and the way that I got started off, it felt like maybe I had missed the boat on Ethereum. Um, and so spent a lot of my time looking elsewhere and not realizing that the network effects of Ethereum and the culture that it was building around it was something to like, latch onto and it's really never too late to get involved and start building on ethereum and so like that would definitely be like the number one piece of advice i would give myself um and yeah yeah do you see slingshot hopping on to other l1s as well i would rule it out um and then we're starting to see other l1s launch their evm compatibility which you know, maybe someday L1s just become sidechains to Ethereum as well and plug into it. You know, I, I try not to be a maximalist in any one direction. Um, you know, I, I do think of myself as more Ethereum than anything else, but it, 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 like, I wouldn't rule it out that, you know, Slingshot could be on other L1 platforms in the future. It's, at the end of the day, what I care about most is uh, servicing our users. And so if our users want to trade somewhere, that is an Ethereum, um, you know, I think we got to listen to them. Yeah, I can see a lot of these other L1s who've been around for a long time. I mean, just looking at Polygon and seeing the success of Polygon being an Ethereum sidechain, and, and even Ronin, I mean, for that matter, and probably just saying we should probably just, you know, launch an EVM. Uh, are, there other, are there any other L1s that are kind of catching your eye a little bit? I think, I mean, there's... There's a handful of interesting ones and some are going in slightly different directions um, or just like taking different approaches to them. You know, uh, as of right now, our focus and my focus has really been on Ethereum as like, if you think of Ethereum as like the sun in the solar system and like looking at the different planets orbiting it, that's really where we've been spending most of our time. And so to be honest, I haven't put a whole lot of thought at this point into other layer ones. 
Yeah, I, I've asked that to a few other guests, and I've actually had some surprising answers. Um, even where Anthony Sassano mentioned, you know, Cosmos is uh, an interesting layer one that he's had his eye on, and uh, I think Solana is another one that that people have mentioned before. Um, just just interesting to get people's take. Uh, you know, when you see people building on Ethereum, you just assume that that's what they focus on all the time. But uh, I think you're right. I think it's good to keep an open mind and just continue to see what's out there because crypto is growing and evolving so much on an hourly basis. You need to try to, you know, look in all directions if you can. All right, let's let's talk about uh, burning ETH in EIP-1559. Um, it it kind of went without a hitch, right? I mean, it. what are your thoughts on it? What were your thoughts leading up to it, I guess, first? And uh, what are your thoughts now that we're at the, the day of and we are burning a lot of ETH. Yeah, up to it. It was more so just anticipation of, you know, what what it's going to look like. Um, you know, what are the what's the data going to look like? How much ETH are we actually going to burn in the first 24 hours? And I'm excited to see that metric come out. And I think a lot of these kind of things that happened on chain, these spikes in usage in the past were always it just felt bearish. It felt like, oh, Ethereum is unusable because, like, you know, this NFT dropped and, like, all this stuff happened. But, you know, now when these NFT drops happen and the chain gets congested, we can all celebrate at the same time, like, how much ETH is being burned. And so I think it kind of is just going to change the way that people think about uh, Ethereum and Ether as an asset. Um, and so I, I'm just really excited to especially over the next like 24 hours to one week to see the different narratives that, that take shape um, and seeing all of the hot takes and uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. It, you know, it feels, it feels a bit celebratory, you know, it's like, I think this is, it's really cool that Ethereum was able to upgrade the network and yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah. And I remember hearing rumors for a little bit or just some, some talk on Twitter about, Polygon potentially implementing their own version of EIP-1559 uh, to burn some Matic. Uh, you're a little bit closer involved with the, the Polygon system. H have you heard anything about that? And I think it's something that they're considering. I don't see why they wouldn't. I feel like it's one of those things where it kind of becomes this thing that everyone adopts. Um, you know, it's it, especially if it's seen as like a bullish event. And which it would if it was like you know actually beneficial for the network, and I think it is. And so you know it, it could be one of those things where we kind of see everyone implement it in some manner. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw other layer ones also adopting their own version of EIP one five five nine as well. Yeah. Okay, I, that, that's really all the questions uh, that we had for you today, Clinton. Um, I, we still have some time left. Are there any other topics that you want to touch on specifically? No, I mean, I think it was a great discussion. There's a lot of really good questions, and I really enjoyed chatting with you um, and the coop. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and to everyone listening, uh, this is being recorded, and so we'll get this uploaded in a, in about a week, maybe a little bit before. Um, but thanks, everyone, for joining. Clinton, thanks again for being here with us, and uh, we'll see you all again next week. Appreciate it. All right. See ya.